Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, Blade Disgusting's horror video game podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Poe. And this week we're chatting about the latest adaptation of the storied survival horror franchise Resident Evil, that being Netflix's Resident Evil series, which features a storyline that ping-pongs between the year 2022 and 2036. The past timeline follows teen twins Billy and Jade Wesker, yes, that Wesker, as they navigate the landscape of adolescence and the conspiracy tied up in their father's work within the town of New Raccoon City, an umbrella smart city. The present timeline picks up 14 years after the T-Virus has done what it does best and caused a global pandemic where hordes of zeros, or zombies and other mutations, have decimated society. Jade has somehow survived and is working with the research team to discover a solution to the T-Virus, all while being hunted by Umbrella. So, Neil, as somewhat of a uh, sort of baseline for both of us, um, how mm-hmm. have you kind of found previous live action or, you know, animated Resident Evil endeavors in terms of movies? Ooh, well, um, <laughs> mostly not good, I think, is the the baseline. Uh, so much so that when anything is half decent, it's pretty much like the equivalent of five stars for this, you know, for <laughs> Resident Evil adaptations. I think, you know, the best ones understand what they're doing, but take it their own way completely the worst ones are the ones that tend to think they're pandering to what the fans want but then still don't get it you know um i think immediately of resident evil apocalypse in, in that terms you know the one that divides many a, a resi fan um you're either that side of the line or the other side of the line um in terms of what you think of those films um I mean, they, those uh, that series gets worse as it goes on. There's no doubt about that. I think while you can knock the quality of the second one, the first and third ones are pretty decent. You know, and I think the yeah. third one is my favorite uh, because it just does go on its own thing. It's Mad Max with zombies, and yeah, it kind of works, and it has probably the nicest, most relatable version of one of the in-game characters in it with Claire Redfield which you know the track record they have in it is fucking awful for getting characters right and I suppose last year was last year now Christ um, we had uh, Welcome to Raccoon City which promised a more you know close to the game sort of thing and again it kind of decided well, it didn't decide. It decided. It didn't decide whether it wanted to be the first game or the second game, or both, and then did a bit of both together, mashed, mashed some characters up in different weird ways, and uh, you know, had some moments. But overall, I was expecting better. You know, I, I think that was the general consensus on that. It was like it had the moments, but it wasn't really much. You know, and I think. That's been true of Johan Roberts's work anyway in the past. Some people love certain films of his, not others. You know, I think of um, 47 Meters Down and just think how amazing that was at tension and claustrophobia and getting it right. And there are people who think that's shit. So it's clearly a divisive director. But, you know, I could appreciate the effort of it. I just wish that maybe they'd not try to do so much in so short a time. You know, if anything, that should be the thing getting an eight episode series, you know, so you could flesh out that and connect that. Instead, they did it their way around, you know, and we got eight episodes of Sweet Valley High instead. <laughs> right. Yeah, I definitely was more of a fan 
of uh, last year's Welcome to Raccoon City. And while it was flawed, right, it still went for a tone that I think felt more like Resident Evil than anything we'd gotten in the previous, I don't know, three or four films, right? And, Mm. you know, there's going to be fans that are both of the idea of like, oh, well, the first film and something more akin to Welcome to Raccoon City is the direction they should go in, a little more faithful to the games. But at the same time, though, you know, these films always seem to be doing far too much in a short amount of time, which is always generally what ends up uh, being sort of uh, detraction on the diminishing returns that they get. And I think that what was really exciting about a Resident Evil series is, you know, actually having the breathing room to flesh out many of the aspects that you yeah. typically would wish they would do in the films themselves, while, you know, hopefully uh, giving us something that somewhat resembles the games, which I think, you know, again, you come to two sides of the aisle on that, right? Either that yes. they need to be more like the games or you're fine with this more sort of action-oriented nature that is uh, moving away from the games, but at the same time, like you're very much invested in that sort of new expanding on Resident Evil. But, you know, the series in it of itself, you know, much like uh, similar to last year's film, I suppose, in that it definitely tries to do way too much in a short amount of time. There's a couple of instances that seem to almost be sort of similar to the games, but at the end of the day, it kind of just feels, again, far too removed and that breathing room that we were very hopeful about doesn't necessarily get spent on uh, the right characters or the right sort of world building uh, that we were hoping for. No, it, it doesn't, to be fairly frank about it. But, um, the, you know, before we go too far down that path, I, I think maybe we'll uh, mention some of the things we did like about it. And, you know, there are things to like about it, you know, it's not that it's the worst thing in the world, which you could say of any of the Resi films, you know, animated or, or um, live action, is there was always something, but the constant issue is there's a cycle of, oh, there's something, but then there's a whole lot of something that isn't right. And that's what gets me. I think Kyle Campbell, you know, is, um, he said this often. It's like, all you have to do is put them in a mansion with zombies and a secret lab underneath. That's it. Right, that's how you adapt it. Done, and they couldn't even do that right when they did it. So, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, and so yeah, it just and so when they deviate from that or try to do bits that have happened in games, and then they do them so badly, it, it offends you. It's not, no one's holding up Resident Evil as some great cultural, you know, anthology. You know, it is trash tier horror, but that's what's great about it. You know, it's like it understands that. It's when you try to make it something else, but you're not sure if you want it to be sincere or camp or crazy or whatever, and you just get this mess of things that are nothing. You know, and so yes, we have to concentrate on the bits that are good at least. <laughs> um, so um, I, I suppose the biggest good thing out of this entire series, I, I feel, is obviously Wesker. Alba Wesker, one of them. One and, <laughs> and, you know, that is all down to the man in charge of it, you know, and that's, how could it not be? It's crazy how much <laughs> Lance Reddick makes this a worthwhile experience in any way, shape or form. Uh, you know, he, I said it 
several times now. He's getting an award for making the shit he's fed in any way possible. And I think when you get towards the end of this series and the highlight isn't necessarily anything Resident Evil, it's him doing multiple characters and doing different character types and being believable in all of them in a way that the rest of the cast can't manage with one fucking character. And he's just, he's, I suppose that highlights more just how there's this great split in what's great and what isn't about it. You know, because you have him doing such a grand job. And, you know, I said this on Twitter that uh, if he was to be the representation for Wesker in games, you know, should he return in games, then that'd be amazing. I love it because he's perfect for it. You know, I just think of that, you know, and it would be better have him in that than some, you know, middling thing like Horizon you know, where he's not he's there as the villain but he isn't really the villain and yeah so it was cool and I liked that story in itself and how they went about it and it was entertaining I just didn't need the rest of it you know that is the that is definitely like the thing that I come back to with this series in that you know you ever for every good there's two elements that are tied up into that that are distracting from the thing that's working the mm. best for the series, right? I think Lance Reddick does such a fantastic job of taking this initial portrayal of Wesker that feels very foreign, right? He's essentially yeah. domesticated. He's a father of two uh, teenage girls. And you're kind of like, for the first two episodes, you're kind of like, this is not the character that I know. Of course, <laughs> when you get to the story later on, it all makes sense. But at the same time, like my buy-in to this new version of Wesker or portrayal of Wesker I was able to really get on board with much quicker than I think I normally would because he sells it and he has, you know, little inklings of a traditional Wesker that you might assume from the games, right? Now, he's not, you know, dodging bullets and, you know, punching through people and stuff like that right out the gate. No. But early on, you do get a sense of that sinister Wesker that you've known from, you know, all the games and these things, right? When there's that scene when one of his daughters... Uh, essentially gets into a fight with the girl twice and then is basically framed for attacking the girl a second time and really hurting her to the degree that they end up in the principal's office. And the other girl's father is like, oh, I'm going to have her arrested and brought up charges. And then when Wesker shows up and instead of, you know, having to shout over the guy or, you know, be this really massive imposing force of strength that we know Wesker as, and, you know, basically the idea he could kill this guy with one punch probably – he yeah. just has this really sort of low-key, matter-of-fact moment where he basically tells this guy to his face, like, I can destroy your entire life. And he doesn't have to raise his voice once. And what makes That's for it. an incredibly intense scene. And, you know, it's got this very kind of just like cool factor to it that he's like, I can take this person apart with just my words, using their own reality basically against them. Um, and I thought that that was a really great instance of, you know, making Wesker more than just what we know him to be from the games. And it's kind of like a new, almost not, I suppose, somewhat of a new facet, right? Getting to see him without being a supervillain from the get-go. And I thought that that, again, you know, getting a couple of instances like that out of Lance Reddick goes a long way in selling me and the viewer on this maybe uh, less familiar portrayal of a beloved character or beloved villain. Yeah, I mean... The big thing that keeps you wanting to watch it in those early episodes is the why is he like this and what because you see these little slivers of the Wesker you think of, 
you know, and that scene is just was like a salve at that point because at that point I was so close to thinking, is this worth it? Is this worth watching at all? And then he came by with that, and it was just like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll get on board with this just to see where this story goes. But oh boy, yeah, before that, it, yeah, again, we won't get there yet. We won't get there yet. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, but uh, I guess we should have done this at the top of the episodes, but here's where we'll say, you know, we're going to be discussing spoilers and talking yes. about elements of the show that go far past uh, the first episode. So <laughs> sorry if we've yes. teased you up until this point, but from this moment on, we're going to delve into some spoilers. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the spoiler being that watch it at your peril. Yeah, right. But, you know, having that disclaimer, you know, Another facet to Wesker's character that was really interesting to see in Lance Reddick, not, I think, goes above and beyond with is the realization that he is one clone of Wesker and that before there were two others and one of them was killed by the actual Wesker, who basically was found out by Umbrella that he was doing these experiments that went against their corporate policy, which that at face value is hilarious considering yeah. the things that Umbrella gets into. <laughs> I love that, yeah. So aghast at it. But yeah, it's yeah, Wesker doing his best ocelot thing of like, aha, I'm, I'm the bad guy, but I'm also badder than you bad guys. And like right. this, and I'm doing things that even you find reprehensible. And, yeah, but which, yeah, it is daft, uh, but that's the best thing. Yeah, that, that, again, it's where it feels right, you know. Mm. And, you know, in that episode, just as we are here in spoiler territory, is the, the fact that he just rocks up in the full outfit, you mm-hmm. know, from Resident Evil 5 and looks like fucking Blade. It yep. is amazing. And, you know, it's just unintentionally hilarious at first because you just like, you wonder how they're going to go about this whole thing, of the reveal of it. And it, it's, it works, you know? Yeah. It's like, and straight away, the mindset was like, it's a shame Lance Reddick couldn't take over his blade. It's like, right. and, because straight away it's there. Cause you know, he does the bit, the moves and he does all the mm-hmm. stuff and like that. And then just to see him do that, see him be the, the main clone Wesker and, you know, but later on, which is, you know, a highlight, man, you know, because uh, the line about, you know, oh yeah, what he says about the original Wesker and it's like, he's a, he died in a volcano. So it's okay. Sort of thing. But just, <laughs> like that, that's the kind of, Throwaway line about the games that is absolutely a okay with me because it it works in the context of what they were doing, and yeah, I, I found those magical moments that almost led me to believe at that point. Okay, so this show is actually on the up and up. It's going well now. Maybe we're going to do something with this. But I don't know. In a way, it ends up bringing its own problems. But yeah, you, you can't help that, I suppose. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, though, that like those multiple personalities, that scene, too, is so interesting because it begins with a gag, right? The fact that one of the other clones basically has made like a seafood burrito in the microwave and has let it explode. And then, <laughs> you know, Al comes down to chastise him and you're kind of like, OK, is this just, just going to be like a goofy gag type of thing and set up? And then you get to see, you know, the different personalities. But, you know, the longer you get to spend, especially with um, with Bert, the personality Bert or the clone Bert. You get to see him really facilitate that character in a way that's completely different than who he's been playing. You get to see him as obviously uh, the original Wesker and whatnot. And he's able to sell, again, these characters that maybe are uh, more humor focused at times, but then at the same time can be sinister. 
I mean, he gives a performance that you just wish there was more of it. And that's the thing that I come back to with, you know, not only him, but one of the other villains, um, Evelyn Marcus, who's the true kind of villain uh, up until a certain point, played by uh, Paulo Nunez. Um, And, you know, another character that gives a standout performance from the bunch, but then at the same time is not given nearly enough time to truly shine outside of a few scenes. Yeah, because she's playing up to... The campiness of the villains that mm-hmm. you were, you know, the best villains of Resident Evil, you know, that the best villains are always a bit campy, which is great because it fits that B movie aesthetic. And, but like we said, that, that's it's so rare to have those moments. And they even kind of spoil that towards the end with that character in that sort of little reveal they do later on in the future of her and what's happened to her. And, that scene with her dancing, I <laughs> fucking hated it. I, I, I really did. I did. It's just, I, I would have preferred it had she done it of her own volition. You know what I mean? Rather than it be, oh, she was made to look like a puppet doing this. Because that was the first thing I thought of seeing it. I was just like, yeah, okay. Okay. This is, because there's no other reason. But yeah, it was, I mean, <laughs> so I keep not wanting to go into tangents here because I I know where I'm going. With well, the next time. Let's keep fo- let's keep focusing on the cool stuff yes. that we liked in it because there are definitely you know again examples of this series having glimpses of capturing you know the Resident Evil that we're fans of mm-hmm. you know bringing to life the some of the monsters from that even a few new ones. Um, so I guess let's just kind of run down a couple of scenes that we thought were standouts. Uh, that really do capture that, you know, Resident Evil essence that we were looking for. So, like, what's one that comes to mind immediately for you? Um, the liquor tunnel yeah. piece was the most Resident Evil thing of the whole thing. You know, I mean, again, you can say, oh, what is Resident Evil? Yeah, and it's many things to many people. But liquors have been done so badly. In, I mean... You think of the shitty way they, do, they were done in Welcome to Raccoon City, and then you think of the even shittier way they were done in the original Resident Evil 2002 film. And, yeah, it, it's nice to see it get done properly and show them as the threat they are, and actually have a tense action scene. But again, it's so brief. It needed more. It's like, it needed the build. It They, they were doing so well, and I really liked the momentum that it was carrying, and of all the monster scenes that are in this series, that was the one that was like, yeah, that feels right. They've got a character, you know, the monster right for once. And then it's especially, it's made better because then they add another monster into the mix in that scene, in those scenes as well with the spider stuff, you know, and also great, you know, we've been waiting for spiders to be in this property for fucking forever. So to actually have it done, that well and be gory and it just it just feels so out of the blue at that point because you're waiting for this stuff you know you're waiting for it to get gory and crazy and over the top and it is there in that episode where it has been so on off on off what are we doing with this yeah it is just the best section of the entire series in terms of if you're trying to be resident evil in any way, shape, or form, that most people would go with. That is it. That that is it. And it feels intense. It feels horror. You know, it, it's the most horror-led 
thing of the whole thing. So I, yeah, love that. Love that. I would say that one of the issues <laughs> before I dive into again, how much I, <laughs> some of the bits that I enjoyed is that there are these glimpses of what we've essentially been waiting for. I say faithful, but I guess I'm not somebody that is like, oh, they have to get it exactly like oh, no, it is no, no, in the no. games. I just mean in terms of, you know, giving us something from the games that plays out in a way that doesn't feel like it's a brief sliver or just a brief kind of glimpse at some like in terms of uh, Welcome to Raccoon City. I think the liquors are in it for like a scene, maybe if that, and it's and so it's fleeting, and it's even less than in fucking here. Res- Lisa. I mean, I thought the liquors got done bad before, but I think Lisa Trevor has now been done bad twice in the space of a year, which is just <laughs> oh my god! I just I just couldn't believe <laughs> that part of this. You know, it was bad enough in Welcome to Raccoon City, which is like. Oh, cool. Here's a character that's creepy. They got Lisa Trevor in there. And it's like, and her involvement is like nothing like that character should be. And yeah, it, it just straight away. I was like, ah, there we go. So maybe we should be glad they haven't done Tyrant properly yet. <laughs> or in any format. Trust, trust me. I'm going to come back to that. Um, yeah. But I think that, you know, in terms of the series being an opportunity to give, you know, some breathing room to telling this story as ambitious as, you know, the ping-ponging narratives are and whatnot, you would think that then they would really allow the monster moments that we want so badly to be spread out throughout and be given their own kind of opportunity to shine and to be very memorable. Whereas a lot of the moments that we've been talking about, I think that's in the same episode within the span of 20 minutes or something like that. It feels so compacted into that episode that that's probably the only episode that I truly find to be a standout because it goes from, you know, the liquors, you've got the spider ambush, and then you've got that really fun sort of uh, gun-fu scene with Baxter, right? Where you kind yeah. of view him as being this this schleppy desk jockey from Umbrella, and then he ends up being this badass that kind of has the John Wick moves, right? He gets that moment where he's using the assault rifle, but then he's also, you know, using some form of martial arts to subdue enemies, and then, you know, he's able to do all of the cool takedowns and whatnot. But yes. even that itself... I think that's like an 80 second scene or 90 seconds at most, right? It's so fleeting. And up until that point, his character for me, at least was a complete afterthought. And I was Mm. like, oh, there's more to this character. And, you know, he's largely propped up as being the villain uh, of the first half or the first third of the series. Yeah. And really, he only starts to earn that title or that stature really five minutes before they kill him off, which I found to be a disservice to that character because he's got these inklings of like, Oh, this is why this guy is notable, but it takes so long to get there that by the time they do, he's dead. Yeah. And this is a common problem with this switching between timelines thing. It's in the wrong timeline far too often, which is a shame because that the past has Wesker and you want that because that's cool. But the future has more of the interesting monster stuff. Yeah, most of the time, so you end up with good stuff on either side, but an imbalance in terms of where the bad stuff lies, I think. And what well, the stuff that's less interesting, you know, and the stuff that doesn't engage. And you know, it's not a problem in itself if you at least making something really entertaining consistently, but yeah, it just you're waiting for scraps a lot of the time and. 
even then they're not always doing what you want them to do. They are giving you slightly disappointing. I mean, going to that liquor spider whole tunnel sequence. Yeah. <laughs> I did laugh at, you know, Resident Evil finally comes to England and like they go to Brighton, you know, up the coast from where I live and like that and all this and Dover and it has the best scene in it, but also one of the weirdest ones with the whole cat lady thing. But yeah, and getting to that scene in the channel tunnel and it all being cool and like oh amazing monsters, stuff like that. What did they end all that with? Teen drama bullshit yeah <laughs> and it's like you should end the episode on that stuff and then start the next episode with your team stuff because you would have ended an episode well which rarely happens you know, in any of them so it, it, it's just frustrating that every time you get a glimpse of what's going to be done right it doesn't quite go there and either the build isn't quite as good as it should be and it kind of feels deflating even if you do get a good scene like that tunnel scene or you get far too much build up like say the alligator (laughs) in the finale and then it does fuck all you know it Mm. it does nothing of merit and you just think what was that for what do we wait for that for and it's the same with lisa trevor as well we'll get to but we'll get to those things well, that's the thing, like, in your mentioning the gator, right? I think that early on in the intro, right, you get a look at the T-virus moving past just infecting people and mutating mm. people, right? Because you get to see that gigantic kaiju-esque caterpillar, right, that almost kills yeah. Jade in the very beginning. And that, I thought, was a cool opening because it's like, oh, okay, this is Resident Evil, but we're showing you the landscape in a way you haven't seen before, right? Yeah. It's very Doomsday-esque. And then you get to see, like, oh, okay, so... There's the capacity for this new portrayal of the world to give us these mutant monsters and mutant creatures that we're not familiar with, even though, of course, you know, we're familiar with mutant spiders and gators at this point in Resident Evil series. But it just makes for a sense of unknowing in something that previously, you know, by this point, you played enough of the games or seen enough of the movies, you kind of more or less get an idea of the direction they're heading in. And so that made for an exciting opening. And then later to get to see the gator and that... it of course, is wonderfully mutated and whatnot. But then I guess this is going to be the transition into like some of the things that doesn't get right. (laughs) There just isn't enough of it. And almost as soon as it's introduced, right, it disappears because we go to cutting back to the past. And it's kind of like, well, so you introduce this thing and then you cut away from it. And then it's another five or 10 minutes before we return to the, it's kind of like a bait and switch almost. And then when they do finally show it, it does the kaiju kind of stock standard thing for two minutes and then it gets blown up and then we never see it again. And it's kind of like they had an idea of, or it seems as if they had a checklist, right, of a variety of things yeah. they knew they had to include because, you know, it's Resident Evil and now you can not only make the gator bigger than the, uh, you know, the circumference of a sewer system, but they're not doing anything with the fact that it can be larger than life now because it's so fleeting. And- yeah, and... This doesn't even come from Resident Evil perspective with that with the alligator scenes. It comes from having seen so many films of crocodiles and alligators done right. Films that, uh, that came out decades ago, films that came out in the last decade, and if you know, I think of um, Rogue, for instance, you know, which yeah. is one of my is probably my favorite 
uh, of that that sort of subgenre, and it really gets the menace of it, you know, and the helplessness of being in its layer. It's just it's none of that in, in that, you know. It, it just it feels like it's it feels very much like the CG thing it is, mm-hmm. like they're running away from a theme park ride. You know, it, it's <laughs> not there. And you can tell, and you can choreograph every damn scene in your head before it happens. Oh, the child's gone missing. I wonder what will happen now, sort of thing. You know, it, it, yeah. and just, and the running away, the terrain they've picked for that finale, you know, where you look so stupid running away from anything because you look like you're shitting your pants and sort of waddling your way through away from this big thing that will kill you if you don't run at least. 15 miles an hour it just yeah that's ridiculous and in the right hands you'd think well yeah you could you could get a laugh out of that in the right way but it just it just lacked any sense of danger tension that they were going for and they were clearly going for it they weren't going for, for frills and campiness and silliness that they were going for Mortal danger. Oh, the stakes are high. No, it wasn't there. It, it just wasn't there. It was a bunch of people who crapped their pants squatting away from a CGI crocodile. That was it. Yeah, and, you know, I think that the crocodile is not only introduced in the or same alligator. episode. Sorry, which... I, I keep confusing alligator and crocodile. Terrible. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Here I am pointing out their mistakes and making money. It's terrible. <laughs> uh, to be fair, though, in this, you know, conversation, that is the uh, the lesser of two, right? Um <laughs> I think, though, that, you know, it's disappointing that it's introduced in the same episode that it's later killed in, right? Because, again, you come back to the idea there's just not enough of it. Granted, if they had done more with it, maybe we would have gotten, again, more fleshed out moments with these iconic elements of Resident Evil universe and getting to see it unfold in a way that is completely original to the games or even the movies and whatnot. And yet it's just it comes in as quickly as it goes. And that, I think, is also the issue that I have with them introducing Tyrant, right? They get to show off two of him just chilling in this back-to-tank, essentially. And then those moments couldn't be more than, you know, five seconds long. It's a glimpse of, oh, hey, it's the iconic monster. And then they cut away. And then, of course, at the end of the series, you get to see, oh, his, his clawed hand erupts from the ground, so he'll clearly be in the second season. But there are just so many instances throughout this season that feel like, oh, well, this is either far too little of something that should be a major focus or they're introducing things that are just there for season two, which, you know, not that anything in this really inspired confidence enough for season two, but it does feel sort of disingenuous to keep showing these like series Easter eggs essentially and hinting, Oh, this is going to play a bigger deal down the road when at the same time they haven't really earned a second season in my mind, they'll probably get one. Because yeah, no matter because how much backlash the there's been. Yeah, it's the arrogance of it. It's, it's the same arrogance that carried the Resident Evil film franchise because people didn't give a shit about Resident Evil enough to keep watching it. It wasn't about that. It was it was an audience out there willing to watch it for different reasons. You know, it, it was never because it was like Resident Evil. More like people thinking, oh, yeah, I played that when I was 18 in college or whatever, and like now... I have a vague idea of what that is. Yeah, oh, look, they've done a bit like that. I remember that. They don't care if it's factually correct or whatever, or even has a spirit of what they remember. Because that, that's how you tap into nostalgia, you know, for 
the general audiences. You don't have to replicate it exactly. You just have to get the smell of it, you know, and the rest of it can be whatever the fuck you want. So, yeah, it, this will get a second season because, you know, Netflix will work on numbers, not on if it's any good. I mean, what was it? Emily in Paris was kicked the shit out of and didn't that like do really well despite that. So, yeah, I haven't watched it, so I wouldn't know. But, <laughs> but you know, it, there's a stream of stuff like that. You know, and you can understand that's the way things work, but it should never be about if stuff's popular, if, if it's worth persevering with, because good stuff... I, you know, I always thought Netflix might you know, stop that being a problem, where they'd be like, well, you know, this is doing moderate numbers for what we thought, you know, and that that's fine. That'll do enough to earn another season on this moder- modestly budgeted thing. And, yeah, but it isn't. It is pretty much the same as TV was always like, which is like, well, this isn't doing the numbers we hoped for and not getting enough subscribers in, so, yeah, we'll we'll bin this, even though there's no final ending to this thing that people love, just not enough people love. So, yeah, this will get it season two. This will be one of those Netflix things that will run inexplicably longer than you'd think because it has the name value and clearly people enjoy it you know, and people liked what they saw. Yeah, I, I can question why uh, on that for many reasons, Resident Evil fans included, because for all the talk of, oh, look, it's the most you know, faithful adaptation of the games, it's like, where? You know, I, I have to say where, because there are moments, as I've explained, where it really does get it, but they are moments. Moments that, if it was a film, great. Yeah, you could probably tick that off as saying, yeah, that's not bad. That did all right. But it's not. It's, what, eight, nine hours of TV. So, Well, this is the thing, right, is that I wouldn't be surprised if this, they stick with this series. And, you know, it's uh, notable that Netflix developed this with uh, Constance and Film, which are mm. the right shareholders who, you know, previously produced the film series and whatnot. And I would not be surprised if the series ended up being cheaper than having to make one of those movies because of, you know, largely speaking of the talent involved, right? There's yes. outside of Lance Reddick, these are not A-listers in this. You know, there's no Mila and whatnot. Uh, I mean, is um, he going to be in it? Well, how? Th- that's is, the other is what thing. I say. This is it. It's like, do you still carry on with the clone things? That doesn't make sense. Right. Because of what they've explained already. So if you go back to flashbacks again for the second season, which is stupid then, because why? Why do you need to go back? Um but he needs to be in it to make it successful. And I kind of wish he wouldn't be just to prove the point of like, what is this series without him? You know, what, what would you have? And yeah, we'll get into why that that's the case, but yeah, he, it needs to be him in there because if he is, and they really do just go, well, we got away with the first season. Now we can do a bit more of the resi stuff and we can do all, have some fun with it and we don't have to make sense, which is fine. That's fine. Do that. Great. It could probably end up being one of those where they get for a rough start, make a a decent second season that you know is pretty beloved by all the wrong people, and then the main audience don't like it and it gets cancelled. So as you should not hear these things. But yeah, I you know I know I don't speak for every Resident Evil fan in terms of what this is and what it does and doesn't work because like like anyone would tell you who is a Resident Evil fan, it can be a different thing for different people. 
and they appreciate something about the franchise differently to you because they came to it at a different time. And this, to me, you know, doesn't really go to those places, you know, as much as it could. Yeah. And for people who grew up on five and six, wow, you know, they can do a lap of honor. This is their thing, you know, because it does tap a lot of that. And they're usually the people that like the later Resident Evil films in the Anderson sort of era because, mm-hmm. yeah, again, they tap into that. And I think, but the games only came like that because of the films and vice versa. And it just, that whole section of time was bad for Resident Evil. However much money it made in that time, that was bad for the brand of Resident Evil. And there's a reason we should, we moved on and had seven yeah, you know, and eight, you know, and the way they are. So yeah, I, I prefer that we went and carried on with that instead of trying to make things like that era of Resident Evil. <laughs> so. Yeah, and you know, I, when we come back from our break, I want to get into a little bit more about how they handle the ping-ponging of the past and the present, right? Because I think that while we definitely have re- some pretty strong reservations about the handling of that, I didn't think necessarily that that was like a negative aspect in terms of the storytelling. And I think we'll unpack that a little bit more, but uh, Mm. we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll dive into that. And we're back from our break. And, you know, how did you find the ping ponging of the two narrative timetables? Because, you know, I was not aware of that, right? I came back from my, my vacation and I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. I missed Resident Evil series announcement or being dropped rather. And then I was like, okay, I'll dive into this. And I was a little taken aback, right? Because it begins with the present, which very much feels like Neil Marshall's uh, doomsday, right? Yeah. Right out the gate kind of. And then I kind of became a little more taken with the fact that they're handling the storytelling in this way, even if, you know, one of those uh, time periods is definitely more successful than the other, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, as I sort of mentioned earlier, it is just not a good balance of things. And yeah, there's no problem with doing a dual timeline thing. Plenty of series do that and uh, do it to great success. Here, it's more a case of it wants to be two different shows. you know. And unfortunately, bits of the two different shows are in each half rather than being two separate halves. Because then you could at least say, well, I don't like any of that stuff, but this stuff in this part was great. That's it. And that would almost feel better. But it's the fact that it all bleeds through. And so, okay, so the thing that really, for me, pisses me off the most out the, the entire through line of the series is Billy. I hate the character. I, I really, really hate the character because it feels like the most checklist character we could have. A Billie Eilish-looking character who is called Billy is the most <laughs> on-the-nose thing in the world ever, which you can... I'm sure you can excuse it if you wish, but come on. yeah, It, it just... And then... Nothing about her is likeable. You know, like that. And... It's a terrible performance throughout, I find. Every bit of dialogue, every line read, adult version and young version, seems to be looking beyond the shoulder of the person she's talking to. And like, so you can see the eyes scanning the, the lines. Like, I mean, it's not 
even remotely subtle. It's there. Like, it's this frantic eye movement. It's like, people don't do that. People don't fucking look at people <laughs> look at, with their eyes fucking flicking back and forth when they're having arguments. It's just, it, it really put me on edge. I, I don't mean to be like that about personal performances and stuff, but it, it just, it really, you know, when she is like one of the central characters, and crucial to pretty much every plot device in the show, it's not going to work, is it, <laughs> if you don't get on with that? And so I ended up not caring about her in the past, and then when she was introduced in the present, that dragged the entire thing down in the present as well. Uh, you know, when I was referring earlier to the you shit your pants running, she's, you know, the adult Billy is very much that. It just looks stupid. And in a tiny way, yes, brilliant. That kind of fits the, the you know, the silly nature of Resi. But, yeah, it just, I've never seen a character that has been badly performed both by, by two actors in the same film or series. That, that's, that's remarkable to me. You know, and Jade is better, but, only because she gets more to do, you know, she gets more to it. Billy just feels like a prop, you know, and a way to sort of advance the plot. And just, I, I just don't understand the character and just, just freaks out about everything and just like, but then there's these weird leaps in logic and suddenly from like, I can't handle anything, I'm terrible at all this, and to fuck it, I don't care, blah, 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 I'm going to do all this, and then to be scared of shit again. It's just, I know that teenagers are emotional creatures and you know, things can you know, swing this way and that in terms of mood, but it was just a really, really bad example of that. And I, I just, I could not care about that character and in fact, pretty much straight up despised the character throughout. And it's not even just the performance. It was the fact that everything surrounding that character was done so badly, which didn't help. You know, it's like the music choices. <laughs> just, yeah, that, I, I, that, that, the, that was another. That was at the bottom of my notes. I had to make sure to mention that. But that the music is kind of like this awful cherry on top of what I kind of equate to being like I don't know something. Not that I've watched it, but it feels apt from what little I know about it. But it feels very like Riverdale esque, right? This idea that yeah. you're kind of capturing what is this like teeny bopper kind of drama that's supposed to be a step above you know it's supposed to be like i would assume like a high school age drama that yeah, is all about but, the relationships and infighting with peers and whatnot and then you've got these really like edgy songs or songs that you know are like very hip at the moment not edgy edgy is the wrong word probably but just at the end of the day that entire element and everything that went into it, whether it's the performances or the way that the characters are written or even the musical choices it all feels like it's in service of something that is a poorly done, but also it's not reflective of, you know, again, of Resident Evil. And, you know, early on before we'd even seen a trailer of the show, right. There was a lot of sort of, I would say online backlash, right. Cause you don't want to ever make it seem like everybody was against this, but you know, people online were generally saying like, well, this doesn't what, you know, we're not even going to mention people's reaction to seeing Lance Reddick uh, cast as Wesker, which obviously no, face value bollocks. is ridiculous. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. you know, that their reaction to that is being what was ridiculous. Um, but generally speaking, like, I'm somebody that 
obviously loves the games, has enjoyed bits and pieces of the movies, but I'm never somebody that's so tied to a franchise in terms of like, it has to be exactly like this. Anything that is presenting a new take, I'm against. I'm not that kind of person. And I give almost everything sort of the benefit of the doubt. But when you have characters that are saying things that are this cringeworthy, that are this poorly, you know, emoted, but also just yeah. performed, it really just takes you out of it, for me at least, almost at every turn when we have to do that shift. And the narrative structure of the shifting between periods, I don't mind. But when you're shifting always to, you know, the past, and it's filled with, you know, characters that I don't care for with situations that are completely inconsequential to the grand scheme of things. I mean, that whole two episode arc of Billy getting into fights with that girl at school. What is the the only purpose of that? The only thing we get out of that is that scene where it's, you know, Wesker comes in the office and basically gets to tell that her dad, like, Oh, I'm the top dog at umbrella. You're fucked. Other than that, that whole interaction between the two girls serves no other purpose. So, and did I imagine this, but before that bullying started, wasn't the girl that, she got bullied by being bullied mm-hmm. and she was trying to be helpful and then yeah. she got bullied and suddenly everyone was like really respectful around this bully. It just didn't make, yeah. it didn't get where that came from because suddenly it was like, well, this is a different character. It's like, it's not like, right. oh, she's bullying her because other people are bullying her because it never gets brought up again. It's just sort of, it's light and it's, I just, that, things like that just, just threw me because I, I felt like it was, I, slept through something and missed something because it it really hadn't I, I couldn't get where they got that from and then it, yeah I also, think we just, you would yeah, you would think that on. that whole sequence would have built to you know okay the two kids that are the most bullied are going to you know they're going to try to basically like bully the one other more than the other so that way they yeah. can be oh okay now that if I bully this person I'm like everybody else but then you know in a typical teen kind of drama, you assume, oh, well, they're going to realize that they're more similar than they are different and then they yes. would become friends and whatnot. But it doesn't have that payoff, which is fine. But then there's no other payoff other than you get that brief scene that, you know, once again, gets to show off Lance Reddick giving us a version of this character that, you know, on face value is very different in terms of just mm. his mannerisms, but still has that sinister edge. But that's not something that should dictate to almost two episodes worth of a conflict. No, and you know the the payoff seems to be at this point, you know, as we get through these early episodes, is that in the past anyway, is that Billy will get infected and she's the reason it will all kick off and like that. And you are waiting for the payoff of the turn and the catharsis of the turn. Oh, she's bullied, she's heckled, and it's going to be tragic that she ends up being. You know, the cause of it all and the guilt. They don't go there. It's like, it's like they do that whole episode building up to the idea of it happening. And it's like, actually, it's not going to happen. I mean, it's not like, not like subtly say it. They literally say, oh, no, you're fine. Which, yeah. you know, okay, I get it for the plot, but fuck's sake. Yeah, really, come on. It's just like you have literally built the idea that she is going to go and fucking go murderable on everyone. And she doesn't. And that would have been something for that character because they hinted at it and then they made it sound, you know, they copped out on that by having it be a sister that beat up the girl. And it's just that, again, it, that character is so 
much of a prop and not a real person throughout. And you get to her future self and her motivation at the end of that is fucking bull. You know, it is so bad that I just, I think, really, that's it. That's, that's your reason for doing all this now. It, it doesn't make sense. You know, just the character doesn't make sense. And this is my biggest concern of any season two is like, we're not going to be following Wesker. We're going to be following this woman. And that's it. Yeah. And I, I just cannot, I, I don't want to think of getting on board with that. So while I'm on a tangent, um, <laughs> <laughs> the worst part for me in terms of the, the, uh, past stuff was when they tried to do a bit of fan service pandering with having a whole set of puzzles, you know, mm. to find out clues in episode five. It was the point I actually, you know, wanted to go, fuck this. I'm not watching any more of this. I really <laughs> cannot watch any more of this garbage because they're there doing this really, you know, if you, you know, your escape rooms and stuff. Yeah. And you, you know, there are bespoke versions of that and really cool things you could do with it. Imagine someone just set it up as like a con, basically. Like, yeah, okay, we can make some money at this, but all we're going to do is just put a bunch of biros and paper in a room and some, like, paper clips and pretty much a sign on the door saying that you can get out with this. That's what it felt like compared to actual Resident Evil puzzles. It wasn't elaborate. It wasn't stupid in the way that Resident Evil puzzles are, where it's like... Why did these puzzles exist? Because the <laughs> the people creating them were absolute madmen. It's yeah. more of a case of no, these are you know half-assed effort at doing the same thing, like a tired parent doing an Easter egg hunt. You know, it, it, it was that was it. it. It just did. It was awful. I, I that it, I would say is. Is the most shit brain take on Resi puzzles I could think of. And then it's tied to this goofy teen shit again. Right. Well, it's tied yeah. up in the melodrama of the Yeah, the intense, the intense scene that comes between the girls uh, with the revelations and things that come out. And it's the most, this was the, the, you know, the eyes, you know, acting in the scene where you can see that uh, she's looking at the script behind her. And I think we're both guilty of it in that scene. It just, it was constant. And it, it just, I never thought at that point, I was like, I don't think I could care about this less, you know, in terms of this relationship and the drama between them. And then they did that scene where they're they're like jawing each other and like having this intense debate. And then to see them pretty much just reading lines behind each other's back like that, I I just, I I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't understand where we were going with this thing. This is a big thing that I've been thinking about recently and having, you know, watched this and then having, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago finished the recent season of Stranger Things. And it's not a case of us disliking this just because, you know, clearly they're not going, I feel like with this series, they're trying to appeal to somewhat of a younger audience almost. Sure. You know, not much younger because, yeah. you know, it's an M-rated franchise and whatnot, but it's on Netflix they're trying yeah. to appeal to a wider audience with this framework, the storytelling, this direction, which I'm not opposed to at all. And when you look at something like Stranger Things, even back to those, you know, that first season, 
you know, the kids in that were much younger than they were in this. And yeah, yeah. there are some familiar trappings in terms of arcs and, you know, the adolescent struggles and things like that, being bullied, yeah. you know, having a crush on somebody, you know, oh, girls are weird, that kind of whole thing that that first season and arguably throughout the series dabble in. But it's delivered in a way. And it's not necessarily always the writing, right? I don't think no. so. I, anybody holds Stranger Things up as being a brilliant example of oh, writing. No, no, no. But, but the it's production value. Yeah. yeah, it's it's because it taps so much into that Stephen King pulpiness that it really does. It works. You know, it, it understands what works about Stephen King. You know, well, the kids sell it so well. I think. Yeah, and, those, and they have kids doing it. Yeah, the performances themselves, like they each are able to feel like these characters that at the end of the day especially in that first season, don't necessarily feel like characters that you've never seen before, but they feel like real characters that are living in these environments. Whereas with it's, this, yeah. it, it just kind of feels like, well, these are people that you would see in a CW show that are not cast because they're stellar actors or something. They're just there because they look the part of what some exec thinks will appeal <laughs> to like this younger generation of yeah. you know, storytelling. Even that does a disservice to CW shows because, you know, they understand what they are. They don't try to be more than that. The melodrama and silliness, and that's fine. It works. Here, it's, the biggest problem, and we just referenced that and Stranger Things, you know, is in both those cases, they know what they're doing. They know their thematic ideas. They were made for reasons beyond this is a license, how do we use it? Uh, and this very much feels like this is a license, how do we use it? This very much feels like a sci-fi teen drama that they didn't quite know what to do with and then they got the Resident Evil license and they were like, okay, maybe we could tie that to this somehow and then it was reworked, rewritten to add that in because everything Resident Evil about this is so fleeting beyond the umbrella stuff, which you could do with so many things. Come on. Evil corporations doing that stuff. That, that stuff is beyond Resident Evil in so many, you know, TV shows and it's, whatever. It's just maddening that, you know, for the, you know, what we've already said about the past segments, that more of the past segments are not dedicated to the corporate espionage stuff with either mm. Wesker or just in, you know, it would almost be better if, they had introduced a new character in Umbrella that Wesker can almost like ally himself with and in the grand scheme of things, ally, you know, the family with to try to bring about the undoing of Umbrella or trying to do that. Like that would have been something that I found to be much more compelling than, you know, his two teenage daughters that get involved in this uncovering the conspiracy because they think they're doing animal testing or something. And it's yeah. just like, it's a pharmaceutical company. Like that whole notion too, like not that I'm well-versed in that, but like a pharmaceutical company, what do they do before they go to human trials? Well, they run clinical <laughs> trials on animals. So the idea that not only is Umbrella denying they do that, Wesker denies it, but that his kids are surprised when they find out that they're doing that. It's like... I mean, yeah, it... <laughs> I that whole motivation I, I point, just threw me for a loop. Again, I pointed this out on Twitter. I said, you can tell that those kids have grown up around Umbrella because they have fucking zero sense when it comes to science and what could be the cause of dangerous things. Because you know, we go back to that, oh, you're going to die. Maybe we shouldn't, you know, maybe we should make sure you're secure and don't cause anyone any harm. Actually, fuck that. Let's go and party with everybody around. Like that, <laughs> yeah. that kind of motivation, just like dumb. 
dumb, dumb, dumb. But <laughs> it's just, um, we go back to that episode five again. Which, uh, it really is just the pantheon of shit in, in terms of this series because it just goes, the final reveal of it is like this whole, like what Wesker was before and, you know, oh, look, he was a bad man. It's like, duh, we knew this. But obviously, you know, they didn't somehow. Um, and then they do the Lisa Trevor bit. And again, it's just, it's the most, um, you know, parade looking shit going on. It's like, here's Lisa Trevor literally just like walking, waving and fucking off. That's it. it that, that is Lisa Trevor's involvement in this whole thing. And it's like, why? Why do you have to do that? It does, I mean, it does look like they're using the one from Welcome to Raccoon City, which is, no? It seems like it, but either way, it was a, just dull that they used it that way. It just, it just felt like, why did you do it? Well, it's so Beyond fleeting. Why include it? And this goes back to my thinking. Yeah, this, this goes back to my thinking that it's just a teen sci-fi drama that they added Resident Evil to. Because when they do add Resident Evil in in its entirety, it never feels connected to the rest of the story. It very much feels like, where can we fit this in? There, 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 there. Like that. And yeah, it, it, it just baffles me. It's, a check, it's the checklist mentality throughout the yeah. entire thing, which... Especially like the way that it ends, right? Is that who do the kids have to go find? Oh, they have to go Oof. find Ada Wong, which is just like written on a scrap of paper that I think he had hidden too. Like he couldn't just say yeah. it or something. Like, <laughs> I mean, I get, I mean, that's earned to a degree in terms of the character, but he's not the character. So, right. Where does that come from? Um, I know we haven't mentioned one monster appearance, you know, that, that um, yeah, in terms of, fan-pleasing. The Dr. Salvador bit in the prison, you know, for everything the tunnel scene does right, in terms of anything, the, the prison scene is just dull, boring. And the Dr. Salvador, you know, chainsaw stuff is just like, it's there as an excuse to use a chainsaw. That's it. It's like, there's no rhyme or reason for that character being there beyond that. And I know people want to sort of defend the idea of, you know, they're, they're putting stuff about the series into it and making it all like faithful and like making it canon like that. Like, but then they had that interview recently where they're like, oh, we'd love to have Lady Dimitrescu in it. It's like, I'm sorry, do you mean the Lady Dimitrescu who's dead at this point in the story <laughs> you're telling? Yeah. So how are you going to fit that back in without just completely fucking that over? And, you know, it's, the other thing that does bug me about this whole these kids are special thing, which they still don't fucking show any real reason to how, because um, they die about 60 times over if it weren't for people coming and helping them. But it's pretty much the cliffhanger to village, you know, with uh, Ethan's daughter, you know, and how she's super powered and how they're. No, worrying about what she could do like that that's what this is and now it feels like a waste that they've done this here or maybe it's a benefit maybe maybe it's just going to make you appreciate it all the more when they do go there because you're like oh great <laughs> now we don't have to worry now it's being done right but if a game series can do it right when it's not you know all about great writing and it's all about being schlocky 
And you can't do it with a TV series with real people and people who write scripts for TV for a living. Then you're doing something wrong, surely. It just feels like such a missed opportunity because it feels so rushed despite the fact that it drags on for eight episodes, right? Again, coming back to that idea that you're basically given a gift. And I would argue that after all of these movies, which largely I view as being failed attempts at bringing Resident Evil to the big screen, right? That's You should view those eight episodes as a gift. And to squander that potential gift of sto- the facet of, you know, serialized storytelling and having the key moments that actually work confined to, you know, five minutes in one episode yeah. here and 10 minutes in another episode there, it makes everything else surrounding those moments feel so forgettable and more so highlighting the fact that like, and I guess that that's probably why so many people bounced off of that ping-ponging between narrative timelines, mm. right? Whereas we both have said, structurally, that's a f- sound idea. Plenty of other series have done yeah. that, movies, whatnot. But the fact that it ping-pongs right at the key moments when you should continue with the thing that's working and then cutting away from it or never even returning to what was working and moving on to the next thing, it really does just make for a very grating you know, give or take eight hours yeah. of a series, which who knows what it would have been condensed down to in a two hour movie. But this certainly hasn't sold me on the idea that if they do a second season, that all of a sudden they're going to figure out how to utilize that extra time or. Yeah. I mean, and they're adults now and the adult versions of both characters are not good because Jade, you know, is, you know, she's a feisty young and she has her good moments in the present but then you get to find out about her life outside of adventuring. And, you know, again, perfectly in keeping with Umbrella, that she's smart enough to be a scientist, but a fundamentally stupid person. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, to the point where you're sure, not even sure how she would survive in the wild. I mean, she literally brings a zombie on board the fucking ship of the last hope for humanity and acts like it's some great mistake that she brought a zombie on board and it got loose and killed someone. And again, that should be an impactful scene. Her, oh, this no great friend off. of hers who's pregnant and, and now she's been killed by the zombie that you brought on board. Where is, there's nothing to it. It's like, shrug. That was like such that. a fleeting uh, consequence to that where the guy was like, oh, I'm going to kill you. And then yeah. she's basically saved by Umbrella. And, and, and then no one cares. It's like, it's like, it's just, just uh the whole thing it's everyone is just stupid and on a level like i said that works for resident evil because the idea of resident evil is basically stupid people make stupid decisions the world gets set on fire um but it works on a different level that you know it's a case of well we made this because we had plans for this and it was sinister yes our plans were sinister and then it went wrong like that here it's a bit too on the nose you know there are bits you know with evelyn even you know where it's a case of like oh i don't care what happens if we do this this and this we're still going to push ahead despite the obvious problems like that yeah i get it you don't care you want about anything but profits blah 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 like that and that story could have been interesting with her and, you know, her wife and how she you know, drugs her up to keep her from asking moral questions about what she does and her son and like that. But again, it just gets you know, sort of brushed aside. There are more interesting stories 
in this series that, that could have been focused on. And they skew all of them to tell the story of two sisters who are pretty much the most unlikable characters in the entire series. And that that's the big problem. That's it. It's it's not that it is a teen drama. It's not that it focuses on them necessarily. It's the way it's presented. It in, feels like an afterthought and it's the focus. Yeah. It's supposed to be the focus of a majority yeah. of the series. And, yet, and, and it takes up the most time. It's like it, all the time they spend with this story uh, between them, there's no emotional payoff because they ruin it constantly. The adult reunion between them, which, yeah, they've signposted for fucking miles by that point. <laughs> Three saying episodes that, oh, before it happens. It's like, oh, my God, what happened to her sister? Did she die? Well, no, you told her she didn't fucking die. It, it's like they and you're pretty much signposting. I mean, there's that episode where they do the cliffhanger of like, oh, she's taking the helmet off and you don't know who it is. Like, <laughs> her hair, her hair right. is there. You can tell who the fuck it is. It's like, I, it, it just doesn't do things right. And it, it annoys the hell out of me for that. It could be something better. But the problem is they've pushed themselves into a corner now where they're going to have to go forward with the characters that are the worst you know, and deal with them and their story more than anyone else. And the only way they're going to sort of write themselves out of that hole is to lean into the absurd nature of Resident Evil and bring Wesker back. And really, if you're going to do it right, you bring the original Wesker back. And in who gives a shit that he was drowned in a volcano? Right. It couldn't be any less stupid or convoluted than the stuff they've already done. You know, it... it, it just embrace it. If you're going to go stupid, go full stupid. Go full schlock. Do it. Have the madness. Bring characters back who should be dead. Whatever. Do it. Have more actual Resident Evil stuff in there and make it an actual insane second season where you're like, okay, I can forgive you for this. Well, that's the thing. And, you know, it's a, probably rounding out the last thing I'll say about it in that, you know, I've seen too many people excusing a lot of the things that we've been taking the task as, you know, well, you know, the game's always had a B-movie vibe, which, yeah, that's true. But like you had just said, if you're going to have that B-movie vibe, you need to stick with it the entire time. They keep trying yeah. to, you know, dip in and out of that and yeah. it being just a fleeting influence or a fleeting tone. But then, It's too glossy. Yeah. Too glossy for a B-movie vibe. And it's, but it's also underperformed to a degree that it can't be as relevant as other Netflix teen shows that are actually good or decent, you know, like it's not good at doing any of the things it's trying to do. And yet we can argue that Resident Evil can be many things to many people, but it has to be good at it. You know, it's like Resident Evil can be a multiplayer shooter where you play as umbrella soldiers. Does make it good, umbrella call, Operation Raccoon City. Yeah, it doesn't mean, you know, it can tap into things from the stories and go, oh, yeah, what if this happened and that happened? What if you could kill Leon Kennedy? Operation Raccoon City. And still not be good. It doesn't, just because it has that doesn't make it good. Just because it reminds you of something doesn't make it a faithful Resident Evil adaptation. It's not. It's, you know, as bad as Welcome to Raccoon City could be at times. And, if anything, it was more bland than bad. It got it. It got most of the things right. 
it just tried to do too much in too short a time. Like I said at the beginning, it's like that should have been the thing that got eight episodes and seen it out. This, from the start, was exactly the thing that everyone was worried about. It's like the horrid start this thing gets off to fulfills every fear people had of the premise of like, oh my God, they're doing a teen drama and Wesker's in it. And that's it. And yeah, that that is it. For all the good that he does in that first episode, it is still that. And you kind of hope that, well, you'd heard people say it's great and that there's good stuff in it. So you keep going and think, well, okay, maybe there's something more to it. And then bits and bobs appear and you're like, okay, this maybe, maybe it's going to keep doing it. Maybe we're going to get more. It just never reaches it. I I really think it peaks, you know, in terms of being a Resident Evil product in any way, shape or form in that liquor tunnel scene. And then after that, nothing. You know, the Burt stuff is great fun, but it's only because you've been bludgeoned around the head with, you know, stuff that wouldn't suit reality TV. Yeah, you know, it, it, it'd be all for that. It, it just, again, yes, possibly completely the wrong audience for it in that regard. But I don't think the series itself knows what audience it's going for. You know, it wants to be one thing, then the other, then the other. And that tunnel scene is so much of a sign of what they do not know. Because it's the goriest part of the whole thing. It's the most you know, horror-based thing of the whole thing. It's almost like to put it in as a shrug to say, oh, we have to. You know, it's like, we have to do this now. Because they, they rush through it. They give more time to a conversation about stuff that we know. And it's obvious in episode five with the whole billion scene. And then they do to that. You know, and the build up to that, and they build up a, a monster scene with a, the alligator later on, far more than they should for the payoff. Yeah, it's, like, it's just well, it's the thing they hint at it for an episode and a half, and then yeah, it's got less it, than five it, minutes of screen time, and it's and like, it does nothing with it. it. It just it's frustrating. I think that's the biggest thing for me. It's like when I initially finished it, I I just I got through that last episode, and I just I it was torture to get through it. You know, that and everything just made me angrier and angrier. You know, I've had a week since then to sort of calm down a little bit. I mean, it may not sound <laughs> like I'm being calm about it, but I have, believe me, I have really <laughs> calmed down about it. But I just don't get who this was for. It, right. it just, well, it that's really why you, just... you come back to the idea that it's like, okay, just because something is being delivered that doesn't necessarily resemble greatly what we've experienced previously, like, that's fine. We're open to them, you know, taking big swings with the IP mm. or trying something new, you know, based off of, you know, our experience with the past films. Like, we're basically dying for them to take big swings or try something new because what they had been doing hadn't been working. And it's not just that this is very different or foreign to what we were expecting, but it just, we don't understand who this is for, right? Because they have those really gory moments that feel like they're straight out of the games that are for obviously franchise fans. And then you have this new angle that's more like, I would assume teen bopper focused, right? This whole drama situation, but you know, overall, neither one of those are done all that well, granted outside of the few moments that we mentioned, like, yeah, there's a couple of moments that are well done, but speaking overall, when you have a Resident Evil show and you don't think about the zombies at all, almost, they seem like an afterthought. It's almost like, well, what is 
And again, yeah. What is this then? Why are you using yeah. the Resident Evil IP and whatnot? And, and even then, they tried to be interesting with the zombies and gave them a cool concept about, you know, oh, you know, they've been around so long that they can't see, they can't do this. It just, it doesn't matter by the end of it. Well, that gets abandoned too. Like two episodes, three episodes in, they stop mentioning them almost altogether. Yeah. It's like, which, you know, I get it. That has been pretty much the way the series has gone. But, you know, zombies don't get treated the way they should in Resident Evil stuff. They are just fodder. And I know that's pretty much the way Resident Evil gets treated these days, but... You know, they are the crux of what made that an appealing series. You know, the monsters are exciting, but you need you need the zombies to be something. You know, it's like, and they're rarely that. Um, you know, I think going back to this whole story thing, I you know, and I keep saying about, oh, this is stupid, that is stupid. It's like Resident Evil being stupid isn't a problem, but the series is stupid for all the wrong reasons. And that is why I don't like it, yeah. you know, to, to put it diplomatically. Um, <laughs> it, it just, to put it tamely. Yes. And, you know, that's all I want. It, is You can be stupid, but you can do stupid well. This isn't that. And it really isn't. It, it's just, it's offensive in terms of, like, telling it. It's up there for me with the worst examples of, pandering and and then misunderstanding what you're doing in the th- at all after that with apocalypse and it's making nemesis human effectively by get, making him cry i you know i that yeah you know, <laughs> anytime anyone defends that film i say they made nemesis cry I know that worked in terminator 2 with the terminator <laughs> but that was a whole separate film and it had a logical through beat to make that work. Right. In that, unstoppable. It's like getting to the end of the original Terminator and just him going, Oh, you escaped me. I'm sad now. Like that. <laughs> it, it's, it would be shit. You know, it's like, well, I think in furthermore highlighting just the, the level of stupid that we've been, you know, talking about now for almost 90 minutes. <laughs> I'm going to read a couple of hot quotes from the script uh, that, you know, I'm all for, Humor again, talking about you know the series hat being very memorable, the whole Jill sandwich yep. thing and all that. That Resident Evil is not unknown for having some like hilariously bad B movie lines. No, but specifically some of the lines I'm about to read, like they are so pandering to like internet culture type jokes and yeah. these things. That, demographics, demographics <laughs> that you know it just it it makes me want to like just peel my skin back because it's so cringeworthy. <laughs> but so in one scene. A character uh, rebukes, uh, oh, I mostly just read Zootopia porn. Or in... <laughs> yeah, I saw that defended online. And I was like... Defended? Uh, with the, yeah, with the idea of like, oh, well, the Resident Evil's like that. You know, they go with campy. It's like, that's fine. Resident Evil can be campy. It can be silly and and have shitty dialogue. That was just tired. It was just like, that was literally a suit has made that and gone, yeah, this is, we should get this line in. Ha ha ha. Like that. that that's not like someone being sincere with something shit. That, that is very much them like, no, this is a checklist. We mentioned this right up there with having a character who called Billy, who looks like Billy Eilish and has fucking that kind of music playing around her all the time. So it, it, it's, yeah, it's not worth defending. Or even that uh, that hotline from that 
interaction we mentioned with Wesker, right? Where he's kind of telling this guy that, I mean, you could get the authorities involved, but then I'll just have you blacklisted from every company. And he ends that like really great scene with like, oh, I even want Pornhub to shred your resume, which is just like, <laughs> it's just, I get it, yeah. I mean, again, slightly more agreeable because Lance Reddick says, you know, and the way he does it, it, like I said, he can make that shit workable. Yeah. And it, but it's still, yes, not a great line. Or, I'm not even going to bother reading the next two. It's just things that are referencing 4chan virgins or conspiracy freaks and COVID. Just like, it feels like they, for all the jokes, they just kind of like had buzzwords that have been in, you know, the general consensus for a while and inputted it as a punchline. And it just comes off as just being very tired to the degree that, it's. I think most of these lines are within the first like two episodes when you're getting to know these characters, and the fact that they're not able to make them be you know emotionally investable characters to begin with, and then they just have like these kind of buzzwordy jokes. It just it makes for a very uh, uh, like an acidic cocktail of just like I don't care about anything that's happening far yeah. too early on in an eight episode series in my mind. Yeah, and you know Jade is supposed to be like your. You know, empathy standpoint. You know, they they just give her the most lazy dialogue in that episode with like the Zootopia line and stuff. And it's like, and then she's just angry at everything, like like without reason at times. Like, I get it; people can be angsty and over the top and moody, but she literally just fucking bites everybody about everything and then she acts all shocked that her sister doesn't kind of like her yeah. like, oh god i can't wonder why that'd be it's yeah. like it's just like and then that kind of ruins the idea of the reunion later on that oh now she's some great person because she didn't do all this that and the other it just the whole dynamic between the sisters is fucked it doesn't work because neither of them are likable for very different reasons and you're supposed to be sympathetic to both of them but also, yeah, I mean, Jade, especially in the end, you know, has the doing those stupid things where she endangers people for the sake of science. And it's like, oh, that means she's more of a Wesker. It's like, even her dad wasn't that shitty. Yeah, it's like, at that point, so it's like, it just doesn't, it doesn't click quite as well as it could have. Again, not saying it has to be a nuanced thing. It doesn't have to be some sort of fucking Shakespearean work, but it, it could be something that actually feels cohesive, you know, and and made you care uh, and didn't just do everything in its power to make you not want to see its lead characters ever again. Which, again, does not exactly bode a great deal of confidence for uh, the season two that's inevitably going to come. But yeah, I don't yeah. know. One, what probably uh, one I'll hate watch more, it. I know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, if enough people like us hate watch the second season, it's going to get a third season, yeah. which then well, is going to exactly what I'm saying about Resident Evil. It's like, you know, I hate many of the films, but I've watched them multiple times. You know, I hate Aliens vs. Predator Requiem. But I've watched it multiple times because some part of me, it's so bad that some part of me thinks maybe, maybe if I watch it this time with the right circumstances, maybe it's not as bad. And it always is. It maybe always it'll click is. For but yeah. And damn it, it's just, you, I don't know. It's a spell that certain bad stuff has over people. And, you know, yeah, there's, a, there's a certain part of the DC franchise that has, you know, that effect on people. So it, it's understandable that you can get it. It, it's just 
you feel like an idiot when you, when you do it. I don't think I'm going to have that with this in terms of rewatching this series. I, I think I just, you know, watching a film that's a couple of hours, fine. Watching eight hours, fuck off. No, you, you can keep it. I, I saw the Wesker stuff. That was enough. I, if I, I don't need to see anymore. Just bring him back in other things that aren't this bad. Well, I think we can both agree that uh, Lance Reddick is the, the gift that keeps on giving. But yeah, you know, one of our more uh, maybe negative chats, but at the end of the Absolutely, day, you know, yes. it's, it's going to be one of those things where it's like, we're always going to be open still to them adapting, you know, games into whether it be movies or, you know, just different spinoffs within the medium of games as well. But just looking for something maybe that understands the source material a little better, even if they want to yeah. take these big swings and whatnot. But uh, yeah, next week we'll be back uh, hopefully with a bit more positive of a chat. Uh, but as yes. always, regardless, <laughs> uh, it's a pleasure chatting horror with you for Safe Room. Yeah, I, I promise we'll be more positive next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. You can also tweet us or email us at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.